Sam. Hello, Alistair. How are you doing? Hello, I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, I, I'm tired, if I'm honest. <laughs> it's oh, been one of it's those... usually me. It's usually you. It's fine. I'm peppy. It's just been one of those days I've been running around, doing lots of things, but I'm very excited because we're doing a new kind of rewatch, and I did watch all of this. Like, normally I watch it like a few days before and kind of like soak it up and think about it. Honey, I finished this about an hour ago. This is fresh in my oh memory. Oh my God, this is fresh in your brain oh how are you how are you i'm great i'm really well yeah i think it's just it's just it's just the season to be tired it's march <laughs> it's just it's just not it is it I it's know. it's really a bleak reality in this little like limp to what are we in spring yet i don't even know I, it springs like the 20 something i think it's in the next like 10 days i'm not sure winter is brutal <laughs> to be honest with you um i'm on just like a disgusting amount of sugar today like the amount of sugar i've consumed obviously throughout the day is really it's, it's, it's childish in quantities wait what are you eating what are you like what are your sugar highs um everything like i mean honestly everything from like cereal through to like about five minutes ago i was having an ms white chocolate cookie I love that. like like from the minute i wake up I am like lacing everything with sugar, and I'm like, "That's so. Why do I have cavities? That's that's not right." <laughs> that's, do I feel that can't like be right? I'm such a sweet person, but only really in the evenings. I don't normally nibble sweet stuff throughout the day. Oh I don't my God, find horrific. But then in the evening, like I I was just having. Would you like a jelly baby? I was just having jelly babies a minute ago. I love um, sweets. I really love sweets. Anyway, we're getting way off. I love sweets though. <laughs> Did they ever do like a Doctor Who themed? I remember they did Doctor Who themed like spaghettios, like the sh- like alphabetic spaghetti. They did Doctor Who and they did Doctor Who Froobs. Oh yeah, no, the Froobs. I remember. Nah, I don't remember the. S- no, no, no sweets I know of. I remember mm. there was um, a lot of Scooby Doo stuff i used to like there were scooby snacks at some we point were literally time. me and my boyfriend talking about this yesterday the little jelly scooby snacks yeah something mm. like that or there was something they did a scooby snack version of a what were they called like derily lunchables they did like a scooby snack version of that as well i feel like i remember that there was so i feel like more so in like the mid noughties there was such a huge push for like branded food items where like mm. you could get like an orange juice with avatar on the side or something well, i mean they just did that with all the cereal boxes with the new one but yeah no i definitely have memories of that one do you, do you remember the ham that looked like a bear i guess they banned that now billy because... bear and yes i do because it was one of the only things i ate as a kid <laughs> i can that is so consistent with what I imagine you would have <laughs> as a child. When I went to school, I was uh, given jam sandwiches or Billy Bear. And um, I, everyone sure. would be like, oh, is it a ham sandwich? And I'd be like, no, it's a Billy Bear. No, it's a Billy <laughs> sandwich. It's my Billy Bear. Oh. All right. Well, well, we haven't introduced ourselves. Let's get into that as well. I'm Alistair. I'm Sam. And you're listening to Hula La. A Doctor Who podcast where we look at all things uh, Hooniverse past this episode, uh, present and future. Ooh. So, obviously, we started Hulala in the fairly distant past now of 2005. Then we took a hop forward to 2013. Now we're going back again in the TARDIS to the year 1970. January 1970, where we're watching Spearhead from Space. Uh, It was shown in four parts from the 3rd to the 24th of January 1970. And this is considered one of the greats of Doctor Who. And I, I, I was so excited to jump in here. It really, really is. I We've been saying the whole time we're doing this podcast, we want to kind of dive into classic Who, and I think this is a perfect jumping in point. I feel like this was a little bit of like a reboot for the show. Like it was the first episode in colour, um, obviously a new Doctor. We talk a lot about jumping in points in New Who, um, you know, maybe 2005 would be one. I'd say 2010 is one. Jodie's Zero is probably mm-hmm. one. Um, and I definitely think this was probably, if not with the second Doctor, this is probably the first big sort of soft reboot of the show i'd say yeah it's got a clean break point it definitely kind of is is an easy place to jump in i was really keen to watch a john pertwee story because as i've said to you before i don't know what it is but whenever i've seen clips of him either as the doctor or behind the scenes something uh is is so magnetic to me about mm. john pertwee the person and the third doctor and I wasn't disappointed because it was a few months ago that I had either the BritBox or the ITV. I think the ITV subscription is, mm. is what I had this year. And um, I jumped in, watched this one. I was texting you throughout and I was like, Sam, like, this is camp. Like, this is gold. This is really good. And surprise as well. 
in some ways how little has changed over time and how like true new who is to its roots mm-hmm. i think as someone who really hadn't watched full serials before well this is the thing i feel like you and me very much come to this from the perspective of people who were really engaged with new who uh we obviously started watching in 2005 and i think maybe slightly more than you i like dipped my toe in and out of different serials there's definitely like certain doctors i love and certain serials i love but i by no means was like expanding the entirety of classic me because obviously when we were kids we just couldn't get them the only way you could get them was if you had the dvds so there are a few dvds i had and my only true impression of Pertwee when i was a kid was in the five doctors and that's another one we have to look back on. This was all, wasn't that one of your first classic ones that you watched, The Five Doctors? It's one of my first recent ones I watched. Mm. I don't think I'd really watched any stories apart from that all the way through, kind of multi-part stories. I'd only yeah. ever seen kind of bits that, like I've said before, my uncle has a massive collection of classic who stories yeah and so sometimes me and my sister would be over and you know back when we were a lot younger he'd kind of put on an episode for us and we'd see like a bit of a doctor episode but we we were kind of like enjoying it from the perspective of laughing at the silly effects Mm. or you know he's a very funny guy so like you know he just has like a very witty sense of humor and so he could like point out the stuff that was funny about it for us when we were younger and it it was just so funny so it sounds really bad but i think until recently i just didn't take (laughs) classic who very seriously (laughs) because that was my impression of it growing up but actually watching this it's it's a whole lot more sam it's a whole lot more it's a whole lot more and i'm really glad you suggested this one to start with because you kind of get a taste for it in the five doctors if that's was your jumping in point like me but the third doctor he's so chauvinistic and self-righteous but in like a really fun way like a really funny way like i mean william hartnell was very self-righteous in a completely different way i feel less so the second doctor maybe but he i mean we'll we'll dive into it but he just says and does certain things in this episode i think part of that is because he's like post-regeneration and his brain's a bit muddled but mm. as the episode goes on he's just he just does some really random things and it's so funny it's really really good it's funny because if you think of patrick troughton as being the inspiration perhaps for the 11th doctor maybe more Mm -hmm. than any other single doctor it really feels that john pertwee is the template for the 12th doctor but maybe just with like a little more of a flourish i think later on when the 12th doctor kind of lightens up a bit and we have the 12th doctor kind of towards the end of their run not not the initial 12th doctor we get in series eight Mm. um who's who's very much more like heart and introspective yeah i i feel like that that's the closest doctor i can think of but it's i mean i love i love um john pertwee's doctor i, I really do I love it. and also a good tie in here that the collection blu-ray edition of of season nine uh which is two seasons after the one that we're discussing today has mm. just come out this week and there is this absolutely astonishing edit that's been done for the trailer for that where it's this brilliant kind of proper retro 70s spy thriller bond very like james bond the avengers the 60s avengers and people say it just nails the feeling for john pertwee's era really of of him as kind of the bond doctor Mm -hmm. and uh i i adore it i really do so let's get into it yeah yeah let's dive in the director for this episode is Derek Martinus. This is actually his final serial for Doctor Who. He directed 26 episodes for the series featuring the first three Doctors, including William Hartnell's regeneration into Patrick Troughton. Mm. The writer for this one is a massive Doctor Who legend, Robert Holmes. He was the author of more scripts for the 20th century incarnation of the program than any other writer, 64 episodes in total, and he created or reimagined many key elements of the program's mythology. So I'm going to get into that a little bit later on, but I think you'll be amazed how many characters and concepts debuted in episodes that he wrote. Mm -hmm. It got somewhere between... 8.1, 8.4 million viewers throughout the serials. That feels like really good for the time. I know obviously there was only like at the moment viewings, but I think that feels really good. I think Day of the Doctor got someone like 10 million. I mean, how many people could have been alive in 1972? Like, there was no population then, right? So you've got to scale it back. You've got to allow inflation. Uh, IMDb 8.1. I'm not really sure IMDb means anything here because we're now into classic Who, but look, this is considered one of the greats, no doubt. For sure, for sure. I mean, it it really was. I feel I feel like 
with the structure of classic who for me at times not all the time possibly in this episode i feel like the format of having one serial with say four episodes doesn't always work much as i do love this episode i feel like it could have maybe been like a two-parter mm. but it felt like there were certain bits that were like a little dragged on for me whereas other episodes like for example genesis of the daleks or the five mm-hmm. doctors those really suit that length of episode i feel like those feel more like they have enough program to fill say a movie length like a two-hour movie so i feel like maybe this episode suffered for me in my opinion from a little bit of like slow pacing but overall great great story interesting so funny once again we find ourselves in a in a time where doctor who is kind of once again facing extinction i didn't realize this but i think there was almost a cancellation here and then there was you know a number of factors that i'm not fully clued up on that mean that they didn't go ahead with cancelling who and they decided to carry on going um but there were a lot of changes that happened at this time so massive changes including that this is the first time the show was ever broadcast in color we had an improved budget which meant they could do more location filming, more action sequences than they'd ever done before. We have Barry Letts now producing. Um, you probably heard his name before. He produced a lot of Doctor Who, and he was really embracing a lot of the new technologies that were possible for TV, so moving the show into colour. Um, he also was massively enthusiastic about colour separation overlay. Um, that's basically just green screen, chroma keying stuff. Uh, but done in a way that mm-hmm. isn't too much. I watched a few kind of mega classic Who enthusiasts and they're satisfied with the amount of green screen. They think it's not too jarring. Have you ever seen the clip of the uh, the dinosaurs in Pertwee's uh, Is that is that from the next one from the Silurian story? He has that like hovercraft, the Who-mobile or something. Okay, not this one then. And there's a shot where he looks up and there's a huge dinosaur on top of him that is very clearly like a toy T-Rex. Yes, and... <laughs> that does come up. That does come up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so That's next. funny. Now to move on to Robert Holmes, he's the one who wrote the story. He introduced a staggering number of concepts that are still kind of massively part of the show now. Major characters or concepts that he either created or that were debuted in one of his scripts include the third doctor, Liz Shaw, the nesting consciousness, the Autons, Time Lords having two hearts, the master, Joe Grant, Sarah Jane Smith, Gallifrey, which had previously been seen but not named, the Slantarans, the 12 regeneration and 13 incarnation limit for the Time Lords, the Matrix, Rassilon, the Eye of Harmony, the Shabogans, Romana the First, and the Valyard. So that's a handful. That, that is a lot of heavy <laughs> That's a lot stuff. of heavy who lore. He is truly, <laughs> what a who master. <laughs> this episode is interesting as well because it's kind of accidentally in HD. The Blu-ray looks amazing. Or if you look on YouTube, there's great 2K upscaled clips from this um, one as well. It's like they shot a really low budget Doctor Who movie, which essentially they did. Because the sets look really sturdy. They look really colorful much better than the usual kind of overlit studio camera work. And the reason for this is that there was a strike at the time, which meant that all the BBC studio cameramen were on strike during all the location filming. And they were demanding more money because they were operating more technically challenging electronic colour cameras. And they basically made the decision that they were just going to go ahead and film the whole thing on 16mm film because the film cameramen were part of a different union, so they weren't on strike. (laughs) So accidentally... (laughs) They just got who they could Yeah, so it's just a one-off story, which is in film, which is really funny because it essentially means that it is inherently naturally in HD, as kind of all film movies are. And so looks really great when upscaled and put into HD. So it was actually the first classic Doc 2 serial ever put in HD in 2013. That's so funny that the problem at the time was that the crew they normally have on strikes had to sort of like find a creative solution. And in doing that, accidentally made something that in later years would be like incredible (laughs) quality. And I think someone who worked on it at the time, I can't remember who it was, said that basically at the time they had a bit of a a bit of a dream. They're like, oh, can you imagine if we do them all in film, we could sell this to America and that was apparently just such a ridiculous fantasy. And here we are now distributing it with Disney+. Plus. <laughs> the dream is real. The, the dream, dream is, is real. real. I don't know if it was the like the film camera or the real 70s feel, but the whole time I was watching this, I really felt like I was watching. Have you seen the original um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie? Yes. The Gene Wilder one. It felt yes. very like that. Like, especially in the scenes very where the unit soldiers 
soldiers were talking, where the reporters were talking, I think, in the first part, um, it felt very like all the reporters like, we're looking for the golden ticket. Charlie, Charlie, boy, you've got it. Run, Charlie, <laughs> run home. Like that, I was watching it and I was like, this literally feels like it could have been the same director. That is exactly the aesthetic. That is so funny. I would love to understand exactly what it is that makes something feel that 70s, but it really is that. I know. I think it's a mix of the like, the radio posh voice. Everyone sounds like they're doing the uh, radio yeah, phone for the a horse race. Yeah, it's the trained voices for sure. Yeah. So... A lot of people listening are just not going to be familiar with the story. So we're giving a slightly more comprehensive episode summary than normal. If Mm -hmm. you want to go back and look at it, it's unfortunately trickier than it really should be. It's only available on ITVX or DVD, um, which is really frustrating. I'm sure in future it's either going to return to iPlayer or it's going to end up on Disney+. Plus. But for the time being, it is basically behind a paywall. So enjoy this audio version. But you can, however, get a free one-week trial, which is what I did to watch this. Uh, If you sign up to ITVX, just remember to cancel before the week's up that's true remember to do that um <laughs> this is not an ad <laughs> it's the opposite in fact <laughs> this is the opposite you don't like itvx as a platform sam give us a summary of this episode forbidden to continue traveling in the universe by the time lords the doctor has been exiled to earth in 1973 for some reason in the woods the doctor collapses outside his tardis and is taken to a hospital where his unusual anatomy of two hearts confuses the doctors meanwhile a shower of meteorites is detected by unit the united nations intelligence task force and they land in kent of all places Back at Unit HQ, the Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart is trying to recruit Dr. Liz Shaw as a scientific advisor. Liz is sceptical of Unit and the Brigadier and is annoyed to be taken away from her research at Cambridge. The plastic object is a power unit for an alien intelligence called the Nestine Consciousness. The Nestine has a fondness for plastic and can animate human replicas made from it, called Autons. The Nestine have taken over a toy factory and plans to replace key government and public figures with Auton duplicates. After recovering in the hospital and evading the Auton's abduction, the Doctor discovers that the Time Lords have disabled his TARDIS, trapping him on Earth. Despite his recent change in appearance, he convinces Lethbridge Stewart that he is the same man who he helped defeat the Yeti and the Cybermen. With Liz's help, he uncovers the Nestine plot, and just as the Autons start attacking across Britain, the Doctor creates an electroshock device that he believes will disable them. Unit attacks the plastic factory, but the Autons are immune to the gunfire. The Doctor and Liz enter the factory and face a tentacle plastic host created by the Nestines as the perfect invasion form. While the Doctor fights the creature, Liz uses the electroshock device to shut the creature down, causing all the other Autons to deactivate as well. The Brigadier fears that the Nestines will one day return and asks the Doctor for help. The Doctor agrees he will join Unit, but only if he gets facilities to repair the TARDIS and a sporty car. Liz also agrees to stay on as his assistant, apparently not getting the role of scientific advisor. God bless. <laughs> she probably could do better in Cambridge. She could, she was interviewed as scientific advisor. The doctor turns up and then she's like, all right, I'll be the assistant. Like, <laughs> He's like, and I'll need the assistance of Miss Liz. <laughs> Miss yeah, yes. Everyday sexism, truly. Oh my goodness. Well, speaking of, I mean, we'll dive into the episode, but one thing that I've got on my notes, because I was kind of like frantically making notes throughout the episode, is all of the women are just wearing short skirts. All of the nurses, uh, Liz Shaw, everyone no matter what their role or uniform if you're a woman you are wearing a skirt above the knee (laughs) yes they're short they're short Liz Shaw's after I mean look listen they look great by the way I think she looks fantastic but yeah I I did notice it's 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 all leg for the scientific advisory unit yeah no exactly the brigadier is in like a full beige suit with like non-inch of skin out and then he's (laughs) got like Liz following him around like full leg out she looks great though she looks great so, Alistair, what did you think about this episode overall? Well, I loved it. I The first reaction I had, I mean, the standout scene for me, as you know, is uh, the Doctor's wheelchair escape. So there's a scene where the Doctor is being bundled into the back of an ambulance, abducted. He's in a straitjacket. He's got tape on his mouth. And he's pretending to be unconscious. And then he kind of wakes up, breaks out, and kind of rolls down the hill to escape at the end of the first episode <laughs> in a wheelchair. I can just hear, like, the Benny Hill theme over the... Like, it's, it's the most <laughs> Benny Hill thing I've ever seen, which is also funny because pre this, John Pertwee was previously a comedy actor, so maybe it just comes off it's funny than it's meant to be but oh my god i sent you that clip and i played i am the doctor over the top of that oh my and, god <laughs> and it, it's just so far from what it ends up being in doc 2 it's funny i wonder if that was like a bit of an homage to it they did you know later on there's a scene with david Tennant's trapped up in his final episode um, maybe yeah time. in the end of time it could be like a little homage to it but um yeah he's he's kind of strapped up in the same way and it's uh again quite a funny scene 
Yeah. Well, one thing that I think this episode does really well is it, and again, I think they do this in New Who as well, is they make a soft reboot, like a new launching endpoint for the show, but they do reintroduce existing characters existing plots and they do they're not afraid to reference things that have happened so i love that we see the brigadier again and he does inadvertently reference like you know oh we had help from the doctor he helped us with previous invasions and they were obviously the sidemen and the yeti but they it's not important to this plot as a new view you don't need to know that but as someone who's watched the show you kind of get payoff for that little reference and i feel Mm -hmm. like little things like that make this such an interesting jumping in point for me someone who's a lot more familiar with new who going back and watching this because i'm like oh no i know what he's talking about there so i get a little sort of kick out of that um but it didn't inhibit my boyfriend who doesn't really watch doctor at all he actually watched the majority of this with me and he like completely understood yeah he got it he completely understood the plot saw where it was going so i thought that was great and as you said the inclusion of liz shaw she is i I feel a bit sad because she's not one of the companions that people talk about a lot i feel like people talk a lot about like sarah jane and joe grant and like barbara and ian but she is an amazing companion she's amazing yeah I totally agree. I was shocked watching this that I'd never really heard of Liz Shaw because mm. one of my impressions from this was like, wow, I really like Liz. And I think the reason you probably haven't heard of her is because I don't think Liz ever takes a trip in the TARDIS. And so I don't mm. know, because of that, she's not considered kind of a full companion, yeah. um, which is really sad because the whole series is Earthbound. So, I mean, Liz is a companion in that sense, you know, and would have oh, joined... Fully the doctor on kind of off-world adventures if that been an option um and i think that was all a behind the scenes decision as well to make it earthbound so that it could feel like a bit more of a grounded and serious show and so that i think they could do a bit more with the budget because i think creating planets and corridors and spaceships is just so expensive yeah i definitely think it was the right decision for the time like you said coming off of a potential cancellation because like william hartnell zero was always either going to like old historical places that they would have to create all of these amazing sets or going off world to all these planets and they went to a lot of planets in like the william hartnell years and the same i guess for um patrick Troughton as well but i think it was an interesting and clever choice to make the doctor earthbound for his first series because mm-hmm. it then puts the doctor in a situation he's not been in before this version of the doctor's had his memories taken away so he is sort of like clasping at memories and knowledge that he can get from the back of his brain but he is really sort of like set in this situation and we're watching him deal with that like there's that funny scene where he manages to trick Liz into giving him the TARDIS key so he can try and escape but the TARDIS is earthbound it's not working properly and we sort of have to see him deal with those consequences as well as just the financial benefit of you know you're shooting an earth in episode four um when all the autons are coming out and attacking I was recently working at Ealing Studios which is in Ealing Broadway and that was all shot on the Broadway and I was looking at it and I was just like oh my god like this is down the road from where i used mm-hmm. to work and i can see i'm like that was the prayer and the actual shop where they're all breaking out of the glass and coming out of it's now an mns that i've been to loads oh. and, and i was like oh my god it's the broadway that's the, that's the prep that's the mns um so i think that it was just smart you know from a business financial standpoint but also an interesting way to create a new story within those parameters rather than just trying to make cheap sets two things one the moment where he realizes he can't take off there's some great sound design with this like stuttering tardis but second Mm. of all there's really great comedy when he kind of has to like stumble back out and he's like yes i'm sorry everyone i I was actually trying to escape just now and uh (laughs) (laughs) it looks like i can't so i'm still here um Uh. the other thing i wanted to say is we we really need to talk about that scene with the autons coming down the high street because if that's horror i mean that's horror Mm -hmm. i mean obviously it's doctor who and it was 1970 on tv and um there was no blood no gore uh if you add it a little it's a full horror um it's really really scary we'll just replace that orange sort of smoke that happens when the autons shoot you with blood and that's oh it's horrible horror it's horrible i mean it's horror anyway i mean that would have freaked me right out as a kid it freaks me out now um Mm. so if you're listening and you're not familiar do go and have a look at that scene it is on youtube it's really horrible the masks are properly creepy as well the autons look Mm -hmm. terrifying i know i feel like i think they should have done it earlier in the serial because that all happens within 10 minutes of the ending of the final part of this story and we've seen the autons a lot by that point and don't get me wrong i love i actually really really love the sort of quote-unquote classic auton where they have that blue sort of 
army suit on but i think that they you know they do look like shop window dummies which they then play into later when they break out of the shops i think it would have been a fun reveal to have that earlier maybe so that mm-hmm. the audience seeing them for the first time, because obviously you and I are seeing this from the perspective of already seeing the Autons in 2005, to have the reveal of, oh my goodness, these are shop window dummies and they are moving. Oh my God, they're alive. That might have been played better earlier. I don't know. But okay. you're completely right that it was an amazing scene of horror and it went on for like surprisingly long and the screams of everyone when they're running away and being killed, it was so good. Yeah. Something weird in this episode I guess I'm doing a low right now. I think we'll be doing highs and lows without saying we're doing highs and lows. <laughs> uh, a p- potential low um, <laughs> is everyone's really sweaty in this episode. I mean, part of that's deliberate in that some people are meant to be like plastic autons or under the influence of autons and they're meant to be sweaty. But this episode opens with someone dripping with sweat. I remember that was exactly what I thought. I guess it's the studio lights. It's not clear why he's sweating. I don't know if that was like part of the story. But he's sweating, but he's dripping. And there's other points in this as well where people are really sweaty. I thought when I first turned it on, it's literally the first shot and he's tracking something flying to into through space. And I was like, oh, I guess he's doing something really like high stakes and, you know, life or death and he's really terrified. But he it, it starts with him like noticing that something's coming in. He's already really sweaty. So I do think it was just the studio lights were very intense in certain scenes because they do do that plasticky makeup really well with the people who are Nestine's but look like real people. Like they just have like a thick layer of foundation. That was done really well. And did you mm. notice then uh, thinking back, well, thinking back, thinking forward to 2005, that's what they did with Mickey. When there was the Mickey duplicate, they gave him the same kind yes. of plasticky sheen, um, which I thought was a really fun nod to this serial. And I'm really excited to watch Terror of the Autons and other Auton stories are coming off the back of this. Um, but I thought that, that was a really good way to distinctly but subtly as well show, okay, these people are Nestines or Autons. Um, but yeah, also other people were sweating as well. <laughs> yes. Another high for me is the music in this one. Mm. So obviously worlds apart from the modern soundtracks that we're used to, nothing like a Murray Gold bombastic orchestra soundtrack. Yeah. Um, we do get some of the kind of classic Who kind of distinctive synth sounds that we're used to, some of the electronic noises, which are, again, great for, I think, building tension, very creepy sounds that we really only get in this era. But we have some other parts with really interesting music as well. Like there's a scene where Liz Shaw at the beginning is being driven into the unit base in a limousine and there's just like a soft jazz playing and I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm feeling this. <laughs> I'm feeling this. And it goes on for like a good minute and I was like, all right, this is new. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I d- that, that's my thought on that. Yeah, no, I really like it too. I think that they have a good balance of actual score, like like playing jazz and stuff, but then also like weird, like, like, like little like synthy oh, yeah. uh, interlude bits uh, at oh, certain yeah. scenes. That was really done yeah. well. One thing that I love about this episode, and I think it's true with all the characters, but just so in particular, um, John Pertwee and his performance as the Doctor. I think this was such a strong first performance as the Doctor. And I'm sure throughout his era, like we were saying with Matt Smith, you grow into the role and you develop it and you find it and you change it. But it was such a strong first episode. And <laughs> him like, shoes shoes oh my <laughs> when god he first wakes shoes. Up and he wants his shoes because it's got the tardis ski in yeah it's like shoes <laughs> it was and there's this bit where when he breaks out of the hospital and he, he goes in disguise or you know changes his clothes he's driving past a unit guard and he's like i suppose you want to see my papers well i don't have any i'm not going to tell you my name either what are you arguing <laughs> with me for and he's like not letting the guy say a single word and he's like what are you arguing with me for man just let me go tell brigadier Stewart that i'm on my way <laughs> I love, he's just I love. Amazing. That's quite a good impression, you know. Um, you. It's funny, I saw someone else do a video about this and they said what's interesting is that's not just of John Pertwee's era, but ever in Doctor Who. It's arguably the first I am the Doctor moment where mm. through sheer strength of personality, the Doctor is just like, I'm here and I'm just going to confuse you with my personality in a way mm-hmm. that will somehow give me access um yeah i agree he's so wonderful and there's so many little like parts of his performance i like i really find it hard to even really describe what it is but in a nutshell i i just find it i mean charming um charming Mm -hmm. and camp are really the two things there's something about it i just it really like 
it's I'm, so I'm, I'm so endeared by it like i just need more of it no um, me too me too the, the clothes he chooses to steal like the frills and the, the differently lined coat um and then at the end he's like oh, well i don't have anything all i have is this coat oh no i don't even have these clothes i borrowed them <laughs> like, he's, he, he's just, like and the way that he'll like look in the mirror and change his hat and be like no no no, that hat doesn't suit this and choose a different hat oh yeah. it's so funny it's the comedy isn't it it's the comedy that's good um i think yeah a really great doctor has got some really great comedy and that really got nailed um it's funny as well because i guess like how does this compare to what went before it because it's nothing like william hartnell Mm -hmm. that i can or is it i don't know i haven't watched very much william hartnell and i think actually maybe that's not fair because i think it's i think it's worlds apart from william hartnell I've been led to believe, though, that William Hartnell's Doctor was a very grumpy Doctor, almost based on the kind of version that we got in um, Twice the Upon modern a time. era and Twice Upon a Time, and also, I guess, some of the short clips I'd seen. But then, since that time, I've seen more of his performance, and actually there are points where the Doctor, the first Doctor, is quite whimsical and quite silly and... Giggly. Dare I say, goofy. Could be. He's, he can be a goofy Doctor. Like we were saying again with Matt Smith, he he changed his performance and developed it um, as it went on. But I definitely think, you know, the structure he started out with was like the elderly grandfather. Um, whereas this doctor, I feel like he, I think fun is a word that comes to mind. Uh, he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's playful. Um, I, I love how much he's so self-obsessed. Like he thinks he's the most, he thinks he's the smartest person in the room or he knows he is. Uh, he thinks he's like the most dashing person in the room when he's looking at his face and he's like, oh, this is quite expressive. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's so funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because I guess as well, right before him, um, Patrick Troughton's Doctor, the second Doctor, is quite childish. Hmm. It feels like there's a little childish innocence to him. There's a bit of a flappiness to him that I think is like then kept by the 11th Doctor, Matt Smith. Mm -hmm. And this again feels like you said, really, I think he's a little more together. He's quite sharp, this doctor. He's got like a wittiness to him that's quite, he's quick. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he really feels he's like quick. he's very alert to what's happening. And yeah, I just, I know, I'm sorry, I just keep thinking of certain lines. His, his delivery is just consistently funny to me. I'm just thinking, like, that, that's not even in this episode, but in season nine, just, you know, what if the sizzler is a picnic? <laughs> just, <laughs> that line, it just sends nine, me. And it's in that trailer where he's like, have you tried the cheese? It's quite good. <laughs> I just, ah, oh, why is it so funny? I don't know. I think the whole thing reads as a massive Victoria Woods bit to me. And mm, um, it is giving that, yeah. Let's and do it. Obviously, all of that takes the piss of kind of like the whole like classically trained actors doing comedy thing. Mm. And something about classically trained actors in, in Old Who is just is just funny. Like, it just is inherently camp. Like, the way they bloody speak is so funny. Well, it's all throughout this episode. Every every single unit soldier, including Lethbridge Stewart, they all talk like this. We have to go to the... We're going to go. We're going to go. Of course, we're going to go. Yeah. One thing uh, that this episode... I guess... I was going to say it's low, but I really enjoyed it. But I think for the wrong reasons. Is some of the character dialogue is just really odd like the farmer like a poacher when he's showing his wife that he hasn't stolen anything and he's trying to distract her he's like i'm hungry woman go make me some dinner <laughs> and oh, she's like yeah she's like oh my ass like don't talk to me like that or when that unit soldier <laughs> shoots the doctor and the doctor kind of falls down <laughs> oh and he's like who told you to fire you stupid and then it's like you cut stupid to the and he gets cut <laughs> <laughs> it's like they could only afford the one take and the line was not delivered well oh my god so the cliffhanger right for anyone who's not seen this okay of episode one is the doctor has just escaped this ambulance as i said he rolls down the hill in a wheelchair he rolls all the way into the woods he's then stumbling through the bushes which alarms some unit soldiers nearby who are guarding the area they then shoot him <laughs> and their reaction is just who told you to shoot you stupid and then it cuts. That's the end of the episode and it's a cliffhanger. Well, that's... Oh my God. It's, it's amazing. So and that's another thing that I noticed about um, this sort of era of Doctor Who is like in New Who, when you're getting towards the end of an episode in like a two-parter or something, it will like, the music will swell and it will build up and you'll feel the drama coming there. And like, it will build up to this like moment before the credits. Whereas in this... There is drama, like, in uh, the cliffhanger for episode three, um, someone's about to be shot by an Auton. Uh, obviously, the Doctor was just shot. It's not that there aren't cliffhangers, but they 
are just met by dialogue and then the end credits. And it's quite a jarring yeah. jump when you're watching and you're like, oh, that's the end, okay. <laughs> like... There are some other really funny bits I've seen from Classic Who around this time as well. There's one where it cuts so abruptly. It's like Liz Shaw being chased across a bridge. I don't know if you've seen this clip. She's being chased across the bridge by mm. some bad guys. She has a little bit of like a scrap with them and you know one falls in. And then she flips over the railing as she's about to drop in as well. And I think she like, <laughs> it's the way it's cut is really jarring. Like she like does a flip over the side and almost like mid flip, it cuts to the credits and it's so <laughs> sudden. You're like, oh, oh, it's the end. And you're, you're not expecting it. And it doesn't even feel like a cliffhanger. You're like, oh, very strange. There she goes. One thing that I really, really loved about this, and I think it might be another reason why I felt a bit like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, is as soon as they realised that the nestings of the Autons are linked to plastic, we have like a minute montage of the plastic factory, of them just making dolls, going from like pouring the moulds and putting them out and putting eyes and sewing hair and stuff into them. And it felt very like the opening credits of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where you see them making the Wonka bars. And I think that was really good because the entire plot for the rest of this stems from this plastics factory the autons have infiltrated this factory they're using the factory to make more like auton dummies and shipping them out and i think that mm-hmm. having a sort of soft introduction as to where we are for the audience but it's also a little bit creepy like watching these bold-headed dolls get made it's kind of creepy as well it was creepy And I think that that is a really, really good way to introduce this plot element because the fact they're plastic and the fact that it's set in a plastic factory are probably the two most important plot points you need to know. And you really establish where you are because most of the uh, episodes we are in offices. We're either in unit or in offices in the plastics factory. And I think this was a really, really great way to distinguish where we are and that it's going to be important going on. I think that was really, really good. It's quite an artsy little setup, you know, no dialogue. I don't think you did have music. I feel like I remember it's silent. I think it does have music, but it's very soft music. You can also hear the foley of like the machines like chugging and like possibly if I remember correctly, like there's the people who are sewing the dolls. You might hear them talk. Like there's a lot of foley. I think there might be music. It builds a nice uneasiness. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. It builds a nice uneasiness. Um, But I think that things like that, I don't think you can always afford the time in like current Doc 2, like with 45 minute episodes, Things like that, I don't think you can always, like, allow yourself the time to have in Modern Who. Like, if an episode, say, 45 minutes or an hour, that one minute of time could probably be better spent somewhere else. But when you've got, like, four 20-minute serials, you can allow yourself a little bit of time to play with that and make choices like that. And I think that was a really fun choice to include. Yeah. I think, yeah, the, the, those those baby dolls is one that being made. They, like, they haven't got their eyes yet. Like, mm. they are, like, just for heads, and they've just got, like, hollow necks and hollow eyes, and they look really horrid. And that builds so nicely up to that, like, horrible uncanny valley of mm-hmm. the plastic doubles. There's just, like, there's no jump scares. They're not, like, grotesque aliens with, like, you know, they're not, like, not the Zygons. They're not... Um... <laughs> not the Zygons. <laughs> it's just like the disturbing chillingness of like, it's nearly human, but it's just that slight unease they build that's it's so good. I really want to make the next classic episode we watch uh, be the introduction of the Zygons with the fourth Doctor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I really want to do that to you. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyways, one thing I really love is the like unnecessary shower the doctor takes uh kind of like regeneration <laughs> like not only does he like steal a full costume he decides to like take a shower in the doctor's room and what's also funny as well is he's tattooed for this like he's got his actual tattoo he's got like a snake tattoo mm. on his forearm um some people have gone on actually to theorize that there's like it's not a continuity thing that actually like time lords are naturally like branded somewhere on their body mm-hmm. um when they regenerate which is quite funny yeah shooty's costume is actually gonna have uh gallifreyan nail tattoos so perhaps not too far off maybe Uh, yeah i've heard similar things i've heard people think that um it might be a time lord criminal tattoo uh because obviously he was on trial in the last episode and then forced so because he was like forced to regenerate uh some people have like speculated that it's that the uh time lords like branded him uh as a criminal i love the like in general the whole like post-regeneration hijinks of just like 
being a bit scatty and a bit silly and almost like a bit drunk on regeneration energy <laughs> i i just always enjoy that performance um he's so good at it it fits like his comedy background so well the whole like demonstrating like how flexible his new face is is so good and i think on that thread another big high is that even though he managed to spend i think like a third of the serial kind of unconscious <laughs> he does a real david tennant a la christmas invasion in that when he does show up and he is the doctor he is the doctor and it is such a quick clear sense of who he mm -hmm. is as the doctor the characterization is all there and it's so distinctive it's so distinctive it's really he really like i think once he puts on the costume and turns up at unit he really has turned up as the doctor and it makes me from someone who is aware that this is years old and i've seen other things jump out we into a doctor who but it makes me so excited to go back and watch more of his uh, serials and see how he interacts more with like joe oh, grant please. and sarah jane we have to we have to that. i'm desperate to see a joe grant series mm -hmm. I'm, i really want to watch you, well anniversary year i think we need to, and I'd love to know what the audience think as well. I think we need to go back and we need to watch the three Doctors. I think we need to watch the five Doctors. I think we could potentially even watch the two Doctors. Oh, um, stop there's it. There's so many. Okay, I'm down. Yeah. Listen, Sam, I'm here all week. <laughs> well, I've well, got we're not recording. I just, I just sit in my box and wait for the next one. <laughs> this is this is the highlight <laughs> of my week. <laughs> this is, I've got nothing left. Can, can, can I take a moment of your time, Alistair? Go on. Um, can we talk about the fact that uh, the nesting decided to create its uh, physical form in the shape of a throbbing asshole? Oh yeah, um, apparently <laughs> the perfect shape to take over the earth is is a pulsing asshole, <laughs> just <laughs> pulsing and clenching. It literally. It, I will say this. So again, for anyone who's not seen the episode, um, <laughs> when the nesting is creating a physical form for itself, it's in this like little box and it's growing itself a body. And um, at the end, you see all these big tentacles come out and it's like trying to kill the doctor. But while it's growing, they they do. It's actually a very cool effect. You can kind of tell it's it's like two plastic bags that they're pumping air in and out of with like slime and goo in there to make it look like it's like a breathing living thing um but they've like twisted it into this hole that then when they're <laughs> pumping air in their mouth it's just this this hole that's throbbing in this box and they're kind of next to it, like, it is the perfect thing. but it is that's what it is and it this really sounds so dark web like a throbbing arsehole it's oh, <laughs> it sounds like something so illegal and yet it was on doctor who in the 70s yeah Wow. I don't know. Maybe just no one wanted to call it out. I just, but that description, that was colourful. There you go. I mean, I hope if you've not seen the episode now, you can really clearly in your head see what uh, the next scene looked like. Yeah. And I'm sorry, are you calling that a high or a low? <sighs> it's just a fact. Not a joke, just it's a just, fact. Just a fact. <laughs> just an observation. <laughs> no, but one uh... Uh, final little uh, high that I did love in the episode is um, the teasers of different origin stories. Um, I love that we get the little origin story of Bessie, that the Doctor stole that car and he really liked it. And he's like, I want to keep that car. And the Brigadier was like, no, no, it's got to be yes, returned. And he was yes, like, yes, oh, yes. well, you could find me one similar, couldn't you? And it, it's what then becomes Bessie. Mm. And I thought that was a really fun allude. I like that when they ask him what his name is, he's like, oh you can call me a doctor john smith and um i think he had been called it before i was looking through and in the wheel in space jamie mccrinnan had to give a name for the doctor and like off the top of his head he called him dr john smith and so it had been used before but i think this was the first time it properly was like used by the doctor as an alias yeah i i loved all that as well i agree there was a nice uh yeah nice setup there yeah it felt like um this episode really caught audiences. It caught my eye. Um, but it also felt like they were really building up something you wanted to watch. Like when the Doctor is saying that he'll stay and he's going to work with you and he's going to help defend the Earth from other aliens. I don't know about you, but it made me like want to watch next week's episode. And so I think as something that needs to like re-revive the show, this was like a perfect like kickoff for that. Yeah, and I did watch the next episode after this, and and it really like it maintains the bar, you know. It's it's good. I think the Earthbound stories really work well. Mm -hmm. There's a real I don't know how to describe it. I wish I had more words, and I wish I was more like well read in like TV from this era. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to like articulate it, but like the aesthetic that is sometimes achieved in 1970s television specifically is just terrifying sometimes and there's that same kind of unsettled sense i think carries through i know that people say inferno 
really does that that's another third doctor mm. story where i think the that. third doctor essentially goes to a parallel version of the same place where unit right. is evil and it is run by a sinister version of the brigadier and Liz Shaw. and is he has he got an eye patch yes very obviously yeah, evil. i see i've seen i've seen inferno i had awareness of but i've just been looking up more stuff and Liz Shaw in her inferno world has this like weird beetles haircut like a weird like brown like bobby thing and i just really want to watch this now like evil liz shaw and brigadier like this looks really really cool and i think it kind of ends with everyone dying i think essentially it, oh, it's God. it's all doomed because as much as he tries to warn them that all the things they're doing are going to end in their destruction they ignore him i think that's what the twist is but there's i don't know i, I feel like it, it really works in the context of like 1970s telly i don't know it would be really interesting to try and work out or pinpoint exactly what it is that makes these shows and movies feel so, like, I guess nostalgic is an odd word to use for someone, obviously, of our age, but, like, nostalgic for that era. Yeah, it's the whole atmosphere around it. I wish I had, like, the right language for it. I don't think we're quite academic enough for it, which is a shame. <laughs> You've reached the limit. We can put it into chat GPT later. You truly, you need to, like, look elsewhere, I think, for a more academic reading of this, but hopefully it's some food for thought um exactly but uh, i mean like listen in summary i adored it um everything about pertwee the -the over-the-top humor um the facial expressions the quips the one-liners the velvet jacket the frilly shirts the cape Mm. the whole just theatricalness of the way he delivers everything the flamboyance of it all and there's just also like a dryness, like the way he delivers everything, you know, like he doesn't smile very much, mm. which I don't know. I just, I, I love it all. I love it all. Me too. So camp. Sam. Yes. Are you ready to play camp or down? Let's go, go, go. Woo, woo, woo. Okay. The wheelchair escapes Sam all downhill, <laughs> 70 miles an hour, face taped. Camp or down? I don't think I have seen anything more camp on my TV. <laughs> and I've watched a lot of queer TV shows. It, it's it's a thousand percent camp. It's the most camp chase I think I've ever seen. Ding, 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 ding. ding, ding. That's subjectively correct. Well done. <laughs> Thank well you. Done. The, the nesting asshole. <laughs> the squelching, convulsing, shaking, shivering, <laughs> glucking. <laughs> Squelching, <laughs> wet, nesting booty hole, <laughs> wet booty. Is it camp or is it damp? Oh, well, I, physically it's probably very damp, but I think it's come back damp. down to being camp because <laughs> both me and my boyfriend were watching it. All we could think when we, we were like, that really does just look like an arsehole, <laughs> and it's come back round to camp. So it's going to be camp from me. Ding 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 ding. Okay, all right, it's your choice. It's you were going to say damp, weren't you? I don't know what I would have said. This is why I'm asking the questions. I really don't know what I would have said. <laughs> uh, All right, now I'm really going to put you on the spot, okay? And you're going to have to make some very difficult decisions, okay? About how things have aged. And okay. um, you're really going to have to evaluate, like, especially considering how recent International Women's Day was. Um, Liz Shaw's outfit. Camp or damp? Ah, uh, well, I... Uh, mm, <laughs> you really have put me on the spot there. Um, Come on, Sam. Because I kind of love it. How, uh, mm, I, I will give it a damp for the reason of... Oh, please. All of the women in this are given just, like, the same kind of, like, short skirts and um, long sleeves, which is odd. And all the men have, like, completely fully clothed, whatever. However, I do love it. And I love it's, like, all beige, like, brown neutrals. And it's got these weird, like, plasticky, like, rubbery bits on the top half. It is. It's a camp outfit. It's a really camp outfit. Look again. It's a camp outfit. But it is a camp outfit. So. We, need, we need more information. Was she instructed to wear that by the Brigadier? <laughs> because that's damp as hell. What's the uniform at unit? Exactly. If the unit uniform is, like, Liz, you can't have it any lower than, like, this part of your thigh, that's screwed up and we don't support that. If Liz came to work that day... And was like, I'm here for a job interview, and this is the level I've chosen. You know, honestly, that's camp. You know, good for her. Camp. Um, <laughs> last one. Camp or damp? Now go and get me some grub, woman. I'm hungry. Camp or damp? <laughs> damp. It's damp. He's just a misogynist. I don't know how extreme we're swearing on this, but there is a note that I made during the episode that I will quote, <laughs> and maybe I'll bleep it oh in God. the edit. Um, but all I sure. wrote is, the farmer is a <laughs> to his wife. <laughs> 
Wow! Because <laughs> he that's is. That's not very. That's not very hula la la. Oh, I'll put a beep this in. It's a... fine. But that was my honest thought in the moment. I was like, no, that's damp. That's a. Well, thanks for playing. Would you like some fun facts? I've gathered a few for I'd you. I'd love some fun facts. So you might remember your Autons smashing their way out of the store windows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but due to budget considerations, the creators actually only showed the Autons about to smash the windows. And then they cut away with a crash because they couldn't afford it. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently this is the reason why when the Autons came back in 2005, for episode one of series one, go back and watch our review. Mm-hmm. This is why Rusty Davies made such a big deal of them smashing the windows in rows. They could finally afford smashable glass. <laughs> That's so far. I didn't even, that just shows how well directed the episode was because I didn't even register that when watching it. I just put two and two together. I was like, they're about to smash it. I heard a smash. And now they're outside. That's show business, baby. But that's, I think I had heard that quote from Russell before. That's a really, it's a really sweet nod from him. And it made for some very good TV watching the brides smash their way out of the windows. The whole shower scene where the third doctor is washing and singing in the hospital, it happened because the house that the BBC had rented to shoot in had this amazing old fashioned shower in it. And everyone basically decided it was too good not to use. So they, they, (laughs) <laughs> they, they were just like we, we should throw that in yeah chuck it in so that was the only reason they added it in that's so fu- that like that's it did make me what story-wise it didn't really make sense i do love a fun fact that i found and i'm not sure if this is on your list or not is um obviously you can see the snake tattoo on john pertwee's right forearm you don't ever get an explanation for it on screen but in real life there is also no explanation for it because john pertwee can't remember getting it he said that wow. he went out one night and got drunk and woke up with it the next morning what a king what king behavior mm-hmm. i love that man honestly final fact for me there was an actor called ron moody who was the first mm-hmm. choice for the part of the third doctor before john pertwee got cast but he actually turned it down because he said he didn't want to appear in a children's series can you imagine turning down doctor who thinking like it's a bit it's a bit junior for me that's so odd and it's so funny because he was the actor that played fagin in the oliver movie and I'm pretty sure that was the 60s. So that would have been before this. And that's a big family kids like thing. And I think that was that it would, to this day, like would have been his like, most famous role. No. That's so odd. I can't imagine turning down the doctor. No, but people did it when like when the show came back in 2005, I think they offered it. I mean, I might have to fact check this, but I think they offered it to Richard E. Grant. And he said no. Really? But did return as the great intelligence. It did return as the great intelligence. Yeah. Well, that's all I've got for you, Sam. Oh, it was an amazing romp in the 70s. That that was such a fun dive into Classic Who. And I'm, it, it makes me very, very excited to go through and like properly dive into some more stories. It was a nice little travel back in time, that, wasn't it? It was. I'm really going to get the most out of my ITVX subscription. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you use your week. If you see anything great on there, invite me over. I'll come around for tea. I'll we'll let you know. <laughs> Well, that's what we've got for this week. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would really appreciate if you could rate us and follow us on the apps, Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us, because that really helps us find new Whovians and it just makes it feel nice. It really does. Honestly, every time you leave a review, there's something especially about reviews. Me and Alistair will always send it to each other and it really, it makes our day. It really helps with the podcast as well. So um, if you could leave a review or give us a follow on those platforms, that would be great. Uh, And as always, keep the conversation going. Uh, Let us know what classic Who stories would you like us to see next? Have you seen Spearhead in Space? What did you think of it? Uh, You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok, all of which are at Pod. You can also go back and rewatch old episodes of the podcast on our YouTube channel, also at Pod. Until next time, call me Smith, Dr. John Smith. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.